everyone. Sorry. Okay, so last time we were looking at 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 10, and they were all about identity. Knowing who we are gives us a baseline for the following, what we do. And in the translation that I'm using, this passage is titled, Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. And so my translation here is actually just a tiny bit different from the one that we read. In verse 11, it reads, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which waged against your soul. And I wanna focus on these two labels here, okay? So like back in verse nine, Peter says that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, but now he's saying that we're foreigners and exiles. And it's an interesting thing being a foreigner. I've had the privilege of visiting many different countries and people treat you differently when you're a foreigner. They don't expect you to know things that the local know, like where things are, and they expect you as a visitor to be interested in history and scenery and places of interest. And I have a little bit of a funny story. So you know how I was sort of gone most of the summer? <laughs> well, I actually got to travel around a bit. And one of the places I visited was Rotterdam in the Netherlands, okay? And I was volunteering at this Christian event uh, called The Callback. And it was incredible because something like 14,000 Christians from all over the world came together for this event. People came from America, Australia, the UK, Iceland, Poland, Germany, France, Africa, literally all over the world. And I was volunteering as a steward. So it was a big stadium, the Ahoy Stadium. And as a steward, I was showing people to their seats. Well, did you know that in the Netherlands, they have a large population of gingers? So when people saw me, they actually assumed that I was Dutch. And like loads of people initiated conversations with me, assuming that I was Dutch. And then I had to explain to them, sorry, I only speak English. <laughs> so that's, that's like an example of where I was a foreigner, but I wasn't treated as one, just because of the way I look. And so, but, but generally my experience as a foreigner visiting countries has been pleasant, has been largely a good experience. But for many people, this isn't the case. For many people, being a foreigner means that you're treated differently in a bad way. It means that people either treat you like you're stupid or people view you with suspicion or mistrust. And sometimes people aren't nice to you. And if you were a Jew living in the Roman Empire in 40 AD, you were not treated nicely as a foreigner. You were viewed as less than a Roman citizen was. So when Peter uses this term foreigner in his letter, he's not talking about being a tourist on holiday. And being an exile is even worse. In Israel's history, they're conquered by the Babylonians and they're taken from their homes and brought to live as exiles in Babylon. So being an exile to the Jewish people meant that you have your true home, but you're not allowed to live there. And Peter's calling us foreigners and exiles because this world isn't our true home. This world is cursed by sin and ruled by evil, and we belong to God. Therefore, we do not belong to this world. We are foreigners and exiles of our true home. And you know, I've, I don't know if everybody knows this, but I've recently bought a house in Glengormley, which I'm, I'm doing a lot of work to. And it's, it's like a big project. Yesterday, I knocked down a wall and everything. If you want to see pictures, come ask me after the service. Um, and even though I'm going to live there, right, and I'm going to love living there, it's not going to be my forever home. 
because my forever home is in heaven. And this is something that we all need to remember. So Peter is urging us as foreigners and exiles to live our lives in a way that is extraordinary and countercultural. So then if we look at verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So I've heard a term that relates to this and it's called being above reproach. It's when we're so careful with how we conduct ourselves that people have no basis for accusing us of anything. And even though we know that we'll never be perfect and we'll always make mistakes, Peter is encouraging us to live intentionally. And this is a key truth. Actions speak louder than words. It's easy to talk the talk, but when you walk the walk, that's how people know you're authentic. We can say that we love God, we can say that we're good people, but for people who are watching us live our lives, is that what they see? And Peter sums up what he's saying this way in verse 16. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. So as Christians, we've been forgiven and set free by the blood of Jesus for all the sins of our past and all the sins of our future. But we shouldn't use this grace as to excuse our weaknesses and our bad habits. And there are huge issues um, in Western Christianity and ethical living. Because surveys done in America show that evangelical Christians are just as likely to embrace lifestyles as every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral as the world in general. And here's just like a few examples taken from the statistics. So like church members divorce their spouses as often as secular neighbors. Church members beat their wives as often as their secular neighbors. And church members' giving patterns indicate that they are almost as materialistic as non-Christians. And all of these statistics come from a book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience, Why Are Christians Living Just Like the Rest of the World, by Ron Sider. So th there's an issue with, with our witness and how we're living our lives, because in, again, this is, well, the statistics were taken from America. So like people in America, when they say, oh, I'm a Christian, the rest of the world sees it, oh, so you're just like me, but you believe something different. But Peter's writing to us, abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. You will not have a healthy spiritual life if you're engaging with your sinful desires. And Peter goes on with his instruction in verse 17 to show respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. And one thing from these that really stands out to me is love the family of believers. Okay, so none of us are perfect. We all have weakness. We all make mistakes. But surely as Christians, if we can do one thing right, we can love other Christians, right? We can be a family of believers. Since we're all foreigners and exiles, we can help each other reach our true home with Jesus. But unfortunately, in my experience, this is also a big weakness in the church. Because I've had the wonderful privilege of being part of many different ministries and meeting many different kinds of people. And currently, through my work with Divine Healing Ministries, I get to pray with people and, and do prayer ministry. And one thing that I come across again and again that people need prayer for is church hurt. People who have been mistreated and hurt by their church family. And you know, there's a famous quote 
by Dr. Freddie Gage that goes, the Christian army is the only army that shoots and buries its wounded. And it's a little bit humorous, but it's also sadly, there's a grain of truth in that. Just in that, in that so many people just get hurt by their church family. But I think, I think if, if there's one thing for us to focus on and one thing for us to do well, that should be it. It's loving and supporting each other and being a community that can uh, support each other through all different kinds of circumstances. The other part of that verse, the end of it, uh, where Peter goes, honor the emperor is an interesting instruction because in the context that he's writing in, in this time period, the church faced severe prosecution from the Roman authorities. Peter himself had been beaten, imprisoned, and nearly executed. And eventually, he would be executed by the Romans. Yet, he writes that we should respect authority and honor earthly kings. And you know, during Jesus' life, there was this misunderstanding that he would abolish the Roman Empire. So it would have been tempting for the believers to want to rebel and take up arms and free themselves from their Roman oppressors. But looking back in hindsight, we can see that God had a different plan. Because roughly 259 years after Peter's execution, the Roman Empire would declare Christianity as the state religion. The early Christians conquered Rome, not through violence or military strategy, but by living godly lives, showing the world that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And I can think of a modern example of this from our friends in Nepal. Because Nepal has laws in place to try and restrict the church from sharing the good news. If you try to convert anyone from one religion to another religion, you can face uh, up to five years in prison. So this makes very, things very difficult for the church who are trying to evangelize and save souls. Yet in the times I was over there with them, they regularly prayed for the Nepali government and honored government officials, just like it says in 1 Peter here. So too, regardless of our political beliefs, we should honor and pray for the people in charge. And so next in the passage, Peter goes on to address slaves. In verse 18, he writes, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, for interpreting a verse like this, we need to remember the context, because this is in no way condoning or supporting slavery. The gospel message is clear that all humans are created equal, and in Galatians 3.28, Paul writes, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. But in the cultural context, slavery was a big part of the Roman Empire, and many slaves became Christians. So Peter is writing to them to be witnesses in the circumstances that they are bound to. Don't just be good slaves if your master is good. Be good regardless, because this honors God. And I think we can apply this to our lives today in a modern context by looking at those in different positions of authority over us. Maybe it's our supervisors, managers, bosses. And as Christians, we shouldn't just be good workers for those in authority over us who are good to us. There's something I noticed uh, in the many years that I worked in retail was that for any given shift, people were motivated by how much they liked the manager who was on that day. Um, if it was somebody they liked, they would do a good job. And if it was someone they didn't like, uh, 
they did as little as they could get away with. And we can and should be different, showing honor and respect to people who really don't deserve our honor and respect, but we do it because that's what God wants. And so finally, Peter finishes by looking at Christ's example, saying that we are to follow in his steps. Because Jesus had the power to save himself and protect himself, but he didn't use it. He didn't command the angels to come to his rescue. Jesus set an example of suffering for us. Like, here's the reality. We all want to have nice, comfortable lives, nice house, have nice things. No, none of us actually want to suffer. But I think I'm learning how essential suffering is for God's work. Because Jesus Christ's suffering and dying is what saved us. And the early church leaders, like Peter, suffered so that the gospel would be shared and that lives would be saved. And if we look at Christian history, we can see how God uses suffering in an extraordinary way to change and transform us and to reach and inspire others and to bring about a social change and transformation. You know who the most powerful Christian witnesses are? Those who suffer and yet still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And even as I look around this room, I know some of the battles that you guys have faced. And I know some of the battles that you're going through, but there's even more that I don't know about. And I just wanna say that from this passage in Peter, your suffering is not in vain. God has a plan and a purpose in it. So let's live good lives, love and support each other, and remember that this world is not our true home. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christ's sacrifice for us, that we can be reunited with you and live empowered by your Holy Spirit. And thank you for the words of the Bible, the words in the letter from 1 Peter, Lord God, that gives us wise instruction. And I just pray that you would help us um, as we go away from here, just to live our lives in a way that honors you and just bears witness to the people around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.